630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. We're going to have a little bit more on uh, on Terry Fox between 7.30 and 8. We're going to talk to Leslie Scrivener, who literally wrote the book on Terry Fox, covered his Marathon of Hope, the book Terry Fox, His Story. It was 40 years ago yesterday that uh, it turned out to be Terry's last run last segment of his run on the marathon of hope and then it was 40 years ago today and we played that heartbreaking clip on the show last night where he announced that his cancer had returned and uh, of course terry fox definitely a canadian hero so we'll get a little bit more from leslie coming up between 7 30 and 8 it's 1-1 colorado and dallas they're 30 seconds into the second period we'll keep you updated there the blue jays lead the marlins 2-1 in the top of the ninth Pretty good start for Ryu. Six innings, five hits, only gave up a run, eight strikeouts and two walks through 99 pitches. In the NBA, the Heat lead the Bucks 108-102 with three and a half minutes left, trying to go up 2-0 in that series. First round game still to come tonight. Game seven, Thunder and Rockets and tennis. Canadian Dennis Shapovalov leading Sunwoo Kwan. Well, pardon me, they're tied. Pardon me, they're tied. Uh, Quan took the first set 7-6, Shapovalov the second set 6-4, and Quan just went ahead 4-3 in the third set. Tom Seaver has passed away, three-time Cy Young award-winning pitcher. Great for the New York Mets. And it looks like Leonard Fournette, NFL running back, released earlier this week by the Jacksonville Jaguars. It looks like he's joining Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. 780-496-0063 if you would like to reach out by calling or texting and I am pleased to welcome back to the show the greatest ever in the sport of curling. I hope he's not blushing when he hears me say that. It is the one and only Kevin Martin. Kevin, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Hi, Reed. Doing all right. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. Of course, uh, we usually get to catch up on the show once or twice a year, so it's good to speak to you. And, uh, well, hey, you're back to work. You're back to work, eh? The shops are uh, up and going again at Savile. Isn't that something? Yes, five and a half months, and uh, yeah, we finally got the okay. The, uh, the the tennis moving inside, the curling ice going back in, and uh, the uh, our store that it's almost been thirty years now, Reed, if you can imagine. And uh, yeah, we were we were closed down March seventeenth, and finally uh, finally opened up again yesterday. So thank goodness, and it feels good. Well, it, it must feel good. Such a, I mean, it's obviously a tough time for everybody, and so many business uh, businesses have faced challenges, and and uh, you know have had to make tough decisions and and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I guess there just was there not um, was there just not a way for you to keep it going in the summer, or there wouldn't have been a, the demand, I guess, if people weren't going to the Savile, or what was what was the timing well, like? No, uh, yeah, no, my store is inside the University of Alberta, so the right. university was closed. So it wasn't, uh, yeah, there was no option to have it open. Yeah. Uh, so tennis was being played outside, so it certainly could have been a good idea, but, but with the with the university being closed, there was no, there was nothing we could do. It was just, we were just waiting and hoping that uh, the university would open up and curling and tennis would be fine this fall, and uh, sure enough, 
that happened, which is fantastic. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, we're back open September 1st, and uh, curling ice is about halfway in, so they'll be ready to go on the 14th. And uh, tennis opened up on the inside uh, yesterday. So the South Centre's uh, back operating and busy like usual, so that's fantastic. Well, that, that that's that's good to hear, and uh, yeah, for sure. No, okay. So the, I I don't think I've ever asked you the the racket part of it because it's Kevin's rocks and rackets. Um, I mean, everybody knows you as a curler. Did you have some tennis, squash, racquetball talent as as well, or is that, is that just for the store you wound up opening? <laughs> yeah, no, they ended up being uh, with the Sample Center. Uh, I didn't play a lot of tennis. I played some tennis. I played a ton of badminton actually when uh when i was young so i uh, played lots of badminton and a fair amount of squash not a lot of tennis uh, but inside the Savile Four center of course is the uh the university of alberta uh, varsity tennis and uh, and, a, and a 17 courts uh, eight indoor nine outdoor courts so we have a ton of tennis and uh, so that's the racket part but myself personally not a lot of tennis but uh, certainly lots of uh, tons of badminton uh, uh when i was younger for sure loved it What's uh, I'm going to throw it at you here uh, in in your time as an athlete and as uh, as a business owner? What has changed more, the technology for tennis and racket sports, or the technology in curling? Because I imagine the rackets are quite a bit lighter than they used to be, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, and uh, the really yeah, the stream is something that never stops at our store. It just uh, it's continual. The streaming machines, we've got two of them, and they, they just kind of go all the time. Uh, but technology and curling has certainly changed a, a great deal in the last 25 years, probably more than tennis even, um, because, you know, the, the brooms uh, primarily, uh, and ice conditions and stones, but, but the brooms have changed. Uh, ten, you know, just They just keep changing like crazy. And with Brad Gushu's discovery about uh, directional sleeping just a few years ago now, uh, completely uh, change the game of sweeping. So yes, it's uh, that's probably the biggest change in in, uh, in between the two sports of, of tennis and curling. Go into that with Gushu because I, I I could not explain it nearly as well as 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 you're going to. And I believe you've. I think when I asked you a few years ago the greatest curler you ever played against, I think you said Gushu, and he's still going pretty strong. So tell me about the directional curling discovery or uh, directional sweeping discovery. Well, yeah, you know, and it's kind of neat that. Uh, and I guess we even used to do it back in the day, but we didn't. Well, I, we didn't really uh, look into it as something we could take uh, to, shot to shot and go from either side. And that's being able to sort of uh, move the stone either way, depending on on how you brush it and what angle you brush. And actually, unbeknownst to anybody, uh, Brad Gushu ended up having the ice uh, in uh, during the summer. Of I forget Reed if it was three years ago or four years ago, and uh, and he did all this testing uh, in secret and uh, figured out the directional sweeping and and they came out in the fall their team and it wasn't close they won the first uh, Brad would be able to clear me up but it was four events or six events in a row because they had such an advantage they knew exactly what they were doing and and uh, I remember watching a, a Grand Slam. It was a semifinal, Cooley against uh, uh, Team Gushu. And, and uh, Brad only gave about a foot of ice for an outturn board weight hit. And that's not enough ice in, in the Grand Slams because the ice moves so much. Anyway, so I'm watching. I'm right behind the sheet. I'm up in the broadcast booth. And I'm dead behind the center line. So I have a perfect view. And, and Brad throws the rock nice and straight. And, and he yells hard for the inside guy to hit it. And it backs up abruptly like visually the rock moved back and it didn't get hit 
then hit it with the broom, move back, and then the rock's curling towards the guard. It's going to be on the guard. Hit it again. They backed it up, and now there's air. I'm going, what the heck? I've never seen anything like this. And then near the rock, sure, he moved it around again, made the perfect shot, rolled, horse coup to a single in the seventh, and then won it coming home. And right then, I actually uh, contacted Jerry Peckham from inside the booth during the game. And I contacted uh, Jerry Peckham, who's in charge of high performance at Curling Canada. And I said, are you watching the game right now? And he said, yep. I said, we're in trouble, aren't we? Yep, we got some stuff to do. So anyway, that's what happened, and uh, that kind of changed it. That was the first Grand Slam event and uh, of the year, and it was just clearly apparent that, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like they had a remote control on the uh, curling stone, and, and that ended up changing the way uh, the fabrics and the way people sleep, and it was just amazing to uh, uh, to change the game so quickly in the summer, from the summertime to uh, first Grand Slam of the year, and the whole game got turned upside down, which is which is great for the evolution of sport. You know, when you get somebody really smart that can uh, can make a change like that. All right, so you, so you noticed it, and, and you talked to somebody else who, who noticed it. Now, did Brad ever start talking about it, or did he kind of say, look, I spent the summer doing this on my own, you guys figure it out, or what happened you know, along those lines? Oh, yeah, well, no, it was a lot of work. So, you know, Brad deserved it. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, you, you, you do all that work and you discover something new. And that's fantastic. I think that's great. And then it's just a matter of, oh, boy, because um, other teams are obviously are, are good athletes and they'll catch on. And pretty soon it, it became a, a sweeping game rather than a throwing game. And that's why things had to change because, you know, you want the sport, all sports, to be the the athlete doing the motion of the game to have to be talented to make those shots or throw that ball or hit that ball or whatever it is in the particular game you're talking about. And it got to a stage in curling for a few months where you can pretty much throw the rock wherever you want, sweepers will end up putting it where it needs to be. So that's no good. So then, you know, uh, luckily, and, and, and obviously it, it turned out very, very well. Curling's even grown a ton in the last four years. So um, everything turned out really well, but uh, that's quite the uh, evolutionary story in, in our sport in the last 10 years. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm glad you told that because I, I didn't know it in, in, in that detail. So that's awesome. Kevin Martin joining us tonight on uh, on Inside Sports. Of course, uh, his shops are uh, back up and running at the Savile Centre, so you can go check them out there. Um Okay, so sweeping, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and I know you probably hate picking guys. Uh, one or two, though, of the best sweepers you ever felt that you played with over the years. And I know you've yeah. been... <laughs> that's... Oh, that's right, and I played with or against. Uh, well, right. Obviously, Ben Hebert has to be one of them because he's, he's built like a brick. <laughs> um, and he's just so strong, you know, and that... that... You know, there's there's smarts which Ben's got, but then there's also the just brute strength. And uh, yeah, you know, Ben came out of a football background. He was actually a quarterback for the uh, Regina Rams, actually, right. and uh, and just you know a very talented athlete, but uh, uh, extremely strong. But there's over the years has been lots of really strong uh, sweepers, but Ben's got to be at the you know near the top or the top of that of that group. And I don't think many of the sweepers today would argue with that just because of how strong he is. Now, of course, after all the years he swept, he's starting to complain about his shoulders and hips and all that starting to break down because it's a ton of work to uh, to be able to, uh, to sweep uh, that many thousands of rocks. Well, that's a very 
unique motion in the world of sports and obviously every sport has uh its grind on your body and its physicality but in hockey you know you're skating one minute you're stick handling then you're shooting then you might be back checking skating you know skating backwards hitting somebody in a 40 second shift you do a lot of stuff football is very violent but it's it's four seconds and and the play is over but like curling is that I mean, you could be going all out on a stone for 25 or 30 seconds, right? Depending on, on what you're trying to do with it. That's a very unique and, and grueling motion to do over and over again for two and a half or three hours. And that's kind of the key is it's over and over again. So it's really hard in the hips because it's moving down the ice. Um, is difficult and then the one shoulder and the one lat you build up such a huge lat and uh, and all your strength you get very lopsided so in the summertime uh, the biggest job of the sweepers is actually to balance their body so that uh, they somehow can get and you just can't build it enough but you try to balance your body to to take the stress off of the one side uh, in time for curling season before you do it again. <laughs> and that's kind of the trick to it is the season's done, you try to relax a little bit and then into the gym for uh, to body balance and then try to build the muscle and do it again. And, and it is a very difficult sport uh, for the sweepers on the shoulders and, uh, and hips and quads. How much, uh, as a skip, would you practice sweeping just in case? And obviously sometimes you would sweep in the house, right? Yeah, not much. The, uh, <laughs> but I did, one thing I did do over all my years, uh, the entire time I, I played, is when I practiced, and if it was Jules, my coach of 30 years, and myself, uh, I swept every stone I threw for my entire career. Now, if I was practicing with Mark or Ben or, or uh, Carter Rycroft back in the day or Don Bartlett, they would sweep my rocks because they're sweepers. But if I'm practicing by myself or with just a coach, uh, I would always sweep my own rocks down there. And the reason being is that um, obviously if you throw a stone and, and it's not swept all the way down, there's debris, there's frost, there's many things that can happen to it. And then you wouldn't know, well, did you just die? Was I a little light? Was I a little oh. heavy? Like, well, what caused that? Uh, but if you sweep every rock, then you know the result was 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 an honest an honest result so now you can deal with what you did so so i swept every rock so actually i probably swept as many rocks as anybody in the world i just don't i just don't sleep as well (laughs) (laughs) fair enough as as the good guy uh, well, there's a, a pretty good sweeper uh, in your family. Of course, I, I've had the opportunity to have uh, Carrick on the show a few times, and, and he plays with Brendan Botcher, who uh, who is a frequent guest gr- during curling season on uh, on Inside Sports. Uh, look, that team, in, in, incredible. Um, they just got to get over the hump at the Briar. I mean, three straight runner-ups. You, you, they've done everything except win the darn thing already. Well, that's right. They've done quite a lot. Yeah, they won the three slams in a row, which is amazing. And now they've been to three prior finals in a row, so it's just a matter of time, I think, for them. And, and you're right, uh, between Carrick and uh, and Brad Thiessen, the, uh, the second, uh, those two guys, they're, they're very strong sweepers as well. Um, when, it, when you're talking about, you know, the best sweepers, uh, they're too young to be saying best of anything yet because you, you need to earn those stripes. And, uh, and those, but those two guys are as strong as any sweeping pair. Uh, in the game right now, and and you know with the growth of, of Botcher himself um, as a skip, because I you know I, I coached them only a few years ago at the Briar in Newfoundland, and and you know you can see a, a difference in the knowledge at the skip position between say a Botcher versus Cooey or, or, or Gushu at the time, and and, uh, and so on. But boy, oh boy, what a change in the last couple of years! Uh, you know, uh, Brennan's really come, you know, come into himself and, and really played well. And I think it's had a lot to do with Darren Molding the third, uh, mm-hmm. 
being the jovial, outgoing person that he is with uh, Brendan, Brad, and Carrick all being quite quiet, I think that's enabled uh, Brendan Botcher to be kind of just uh, run the team the way he wishes and not worry about things so much. I think Darren's been a big part of that. Yeah, and you know what? The guys have told me that too, that he's added that that element. Uh, before I let you go, we got to do this again, Kevin, because it's always great just catching up with you and talking sports and talking curling. You like you uh, like you you still come on with us uh, after your retirement. You love talking the game. You still you still broadcast. You still have such passion for it. So a lot of sports, curling included, have been thrown into a different schedule and different timing because of the the pandemic. Are you? Um, you know, just concerned about how it's going to come back at the highest levels, the audience interest, or do you think people are going to miss it and just get right back into, into watching? And obviously for the athletes too, it's a throw off in their routine. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, we, we as a curling community actually were really concerned about how the game will go forward during this time. And actually, if you remember the name Warren Hansen, he ran curling Can- uh, Canada's events, the Briar and the Scotties for many years, him and I and jungle Jim Jerome have actually teamed up and started Inside Curling podcast uh, 21 episodes ago covering all of this stuff. This is exactly what we talk about, and I'm glad you brought it up. And that's trying to talk about the game, where it's going. We bring interviews of uh, Brad Gushu and Kerry Anderson, whatever the case may be, and hear things from their side of things from around the world. Um, so, yeah, we were very concerned about how it goes, and that's why we started the podcast, to try to get all that information out. And actually, uh, tour events have started in Switzerland. Uh, there's been two events uh, back-to-back, the Schweizer Cup and the Baden Masters. So the World Curling Tour is starting again, thank goodness. And uh, so, yes, curling will be somewhat back to normal. Unfortunately, to your point, the broadcasting schedule really won't start till after Christmas. So it's going to be a little different until Christmas in that regard. But the game itself, I think, is, uh, is looking pretty good. Uh, what are your hours? When can people come say hi at Savile? Yeah, well, for now, until the end of September, 10 to 5. We're open every day, seven days a week, and we have been for all these years, and it was sure weird to be closed that long. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing people come down and BS with them. You know, uh, I, I, I just really enjoy it when people come in and we start talking about curling. Not a lot different than you and I have done for the last few minutes here. It's kind <laughs> yeah, of like it's that f- at my store at the Savile, and uh, uh, I know I'm really looking forward to seeing everybody again. Well, that's awesome. Kevin, I always love having you on because uh, we do just kind of sit and chat. I got to remind myself that we're live on the radio sometimes and I got I got time limits. But uh, when we can when we can meet in person again, we'll get you into studio and uh, and you can take calls and uh, from people who got questions and we'll do some fun like that. That'd be awesome. Sounds good. Hey, thanks a lot, Reed. Appreciate it. That is Kevin Martin, the uh, all-time greatest in the sport of curling, and uh, now he has Kevin's Curling, Kevin Rocks and Rackets at the Savile Centre, back open after uh, having to miss out over the summer because of uh, the U of A not being open. Great to have Kevin on the show. We will call a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Colorado leading Dallas 2-1, eight and a half minutes left in the second period. Of course, Dallas trying to finish off that series. They weren't able to do it a couple of days ago. And uh, Colorado continuing to fight the latest goal score for the Avalanche in that one. It is the uh, young man who played in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, Kale McCarr, scoring at 7.48 of the second period from Rantanen and Girard. That is the only NHL game tonight. Tomorrow, a doubleheader. Flyers and Islanders in Toronto at 5. Golden Knights and Canucks at Rogers Place at 7.45. Beyond that, we will see what happens. 
Terry Fox, we talked a bit about him yesterday. We're going to welcome Leslie Scrivener to the show. She uh, wrote a book about Terry, covered his marathon of hope. We'll get her memories when we get back. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. McKinnon loses an edge. Keeps the puck though. McKinnon hands it off for Gerard. Shot through traffic. Never made it. Blocked again. McCarr down low. He scores! Oh, hell, Kale! And the legend of Kale McCarr grows. His fourth goal of the playoffs. That's our buddy Connor McGahee with the call on the Avalanche Network. Kale McCarr, the most recent goal in the game. Now four minutes left in the second period. Avs lead Dallas two games to one, trying to force game seven. The Blue Jays get the win 2-1 over the Marlins. Jays up to 19-16 and 16 on the season, staying in the wildcard fight in the American League. The uh, Thunder lead the Rockets 17-16 about halfway through the first quarter. Game 7 of that first-round series in the uh, NBA. And uh, the Heat and the Bucks tied at 114 in the dying seconds of uh, their game. That's Game 2 of a second-round series in the East. The Heat up 1-0. Dennis Shapovalov, the Canadian, at the uh, U.S. Open, trying to close it out against Sunwoo Kwan. Kwan took the first set 7-6, then Shepovalov winning 6-4, 6-4, and he leads to love in uh, the fourth set. So if that ends by 8 o'clock, we will have a final for you. Tom Seaver, all-time great pitcher, three-time Cy Young Award winner, has passed away, and it looks like running back Leonard Fournette will be signing with Tampa Bay after being let go by Jacksonville. Uh, earlier this week. Interesting development there. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Well, we talked about Terry Fox uh, on the show last night, uh, 40 years since he uh, had to stop his marathon of hope. And 40 years ago today, he announced that his cancer uh, had returned. And no one better to speak about Terry Fox, uh, the marathon of hope and his legacy than uh, Leslie Scrivener, who uh, literally wrote the book on Terry Fox. Terry Fox, his story is, uh, is the name of the book. Leslie, you're on with Reed. Thank you so much for making time for me how are you doing i'm very well how are you i'm doing great uh it's uh, really a, an honor to, to talk to you and uh terry fox is, is such an awesome canadian and you have such a unique perspective if i could kind of just start generally at the beginning um I mean, what was it like, you know, you being a, a reporter at the time, and it's like, okay, there's this young man, he's an amputee, and he's going to run across the country on an artificial leg. And, then, you know, it's such a, a, an amazing story. What do you remember about the early stages of that, uh, covering it, and, and just the whole vibe around it? Well, like, you know, so many, so many things in the newsroom. This started off as an assignment, and my editor said, there's a there's a young man who's running across Canada on one leg. Find out if he's for real. And when the uh, Toronto Star switchboard operators tracked him down and come by chance Newfoundland, you know, you know, our operators were so great they just called all over until they found him. We didn't know where he was. And when I heard that voice, so young, so hopeful, so happy to communicate his story, I was a believer. And you, you know, you know, in journalism, we're supposed to be um, objective, detached, 
But with Terry Fox, it was impossible because he was so authentic. Um, he was so... All of the wonderful things we've written about him are true. He was a... I, I think he was good in his bones. And that was transmitted in the way he spoke, so simply, so naturally. And, you know, I, I believed, as did so many, that... Um, I would see Terry dip his foot in, at English Bay in Vancouver, and we would all celebrate this tremendous, tremendous athletic and humanitarian accomplishment. So when you first got to meet him in, in person, then he, he, was, he was on the road? It was, it, the marathon was going on? Yeah, and they'd had a few rough months uh, through the Maritimes and in Quebec. And um, Bill Vickers, who was working for the Cancer Society, said, we've got to make a big splash in Ontario. So I first saw Terry just as he was crossing the border from Quebec into Ontario. And I've got to tell you, he looked like the loneliest man in Canada. Um, his stature, even though he was, you know, average or above average in height, he looked... There was this youth, smallness of youth, the, you know, the, the, the stature. Everything seemed shrunk by, you know, the vastness of our country. One small, one young man running across this vast country. And I, I was just so overcome by his, uh, the enormity of his task. Um, when I finally got to talk to him, uh, of course, I encountered this very sweet-natured, um, as I said earlier, natural, friendly, um, just absolutely lovely human being. That's not to say he wasn't without flaws. He was not. He was. Um, he was a, a full human being with all the great things and the shortcomings. I'm wondering. And I apologize if this sounds like kind of an odd question, but I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. Did he really grasp the gravity and the magnitude of what he was doing running across the – I mean, obviously he knew it was a big deal, but I mean, like that's – Yeah. <laughs> you I, know what I mean? I, no, I understand because, you know, at first it was, you know, just the sheer – first of all, it was the um, the drive to help others help cancer patients he'd seen so much suffering that drove him he was an athlete he identified as an athlete um so there was the uh, the the physical uh, strength and skill needed to get himself across he had he had both of those right from the start um he always described it as an adventure I think as he came through Ontario where people and he saw that people were now lining up on the road to wait to see him and to contribute money to the um, to the Marathon of Hope uh, for cancer research. As he saw that, something deepened in him. It was more than an athletic and humanitarian endeavor. It was something that was um, that he was drawing in. All Canadians, all of us were becoming part of this. Um, and that I think that deepened and deepened his understanding. Um, there's a new book out that just came out this week called Forever Terry. And in it, Doug Allward, his faithful friend, 
says um, at the end of his contribution to this to this book, he says Terry was willing to die. He was convinced Terry was willing to die to save others, and I think the enormity of that became clear here here in Ontario as he as as people gathered around him, and that's when he said. Even if I don't make it, which is an unusual thing for an athlete to say, even if I don't make it, this has got to keep going without me. Yeah, that's but, amazing. Sorry, Leslie. No, and I, I often wondered, uh, uh, you know, your question is an excellent question because I wondered, did he actually know that he could lose his life doing this? And if he did, that certainly didn't inhibit him from taking one you know from giving everything that was in his bones and in his body and in his heart you mentioned that you know he he just so badly wanted to help other people do you think he would have believed that 40 years later and obviously beyond Canadians would still be talking about him and inspired by him or do you think he was so focused on reaching the west coast for a finish line that maybe he didn't think about a long-term impact you know Terry was such an innocent young man um, and he was almost without ego he had no pride when I say he didn't have pride he didn't he didn't think I don't think he realized how outstanding he was. He was such a modest person. What was important is that the um, that his message that we can all contribute, uh, we can all work together to beat this monstrous disease. I think I think he may have hoped that. Um, would he have? Because he was such a modest person, would he have really believed that there would be millions of people around the world, and I mean around the world, from Abu Dhabi to Cuba, running in Terry Fox runs? I don't think he would have anticipated that. And, you know, in Cuba, sometimes a million people would go out to run for Terry Fox. A million. Wow. That's... Yeah, that's and I, sh- and I should get this in here, Leslie, while I can. Uh, the virtual run this year, Sunday, September 20th, terryfox.org, one day your way, uh, honor Terry Fox in, in your own way. So I want people to remember that. Leslie Scrivener is joining us on Inside Sports. Terry Fox, his story um, is, is the book. So when you were assigned, and this was the Toronto Star at the time, right? That's right. Well, did you stay out on the road or did you go out and check in periodically? How did your yeah. assignment work? Yeah, I would I would check in periodically. So we were in touch um, every week, at least once or twice a week, um, until he got to Ontario. And then I'd make um, I spent a few days with him on the road when he came in, and that was just a tremendous, you know, almost life changing, life affirming experience. And then as he got closer to Ontario, I'd I'd um, you know drop in. One day he was bleeding horribly, and the star thought, "Oh, this is the end." And I raced up to um, the, the holiday area around here, Cottage Country uh, near Gravenhurst, and he just about laughed me out of the room. He said, "Are you kidding me?" He said, "If if I had to stop every time I have a, a blister or I'm bleeding, I wouldn't get anywhere." So blood running down his leg was no big deal. So 
um, yes, I would, I would pop in, I would pop in and out to see him. And um, I, I got to tell you, it's as, I can see these things now. I'm sitting here in Toronto. I can see them as clearly as if they're happening in front of me now. Yeah. Leslie, do you remember the last time you talked to him? I do. Um, it was Christmas, um, the year, a couple months before he died. And I was um, interviewing him at his home in Port Coquitlam, at his family's home. And, you know, this robustly healthy, beautiful, suntanned, you know, sunburned young man had um, shrunk uh, in, in physical size. He was very thin. He moved slowly. His skin was pale. Um, and it was a Christmas. And... Um, his mom and his family invited me to to join them on one of their uh, for uh, you know a social evening at home. And the last time I saw Terry, he um, he quietly left the gathering and walked down the hall to his bedroom. And it was just like a little kid, you know, going off to bed, pulling his sweater up over his shoulders and his head into the bedroom and closed the door. And that was it. Yeah. Um, and for you know for. For a boy, a young man with such um, you know, physical strength and um, so much power in him, um, this must have been very, very hard. Le- Leslie, thanks for, for sharing that. And, uh, you know, listeners are, are, are writing in here. Derek just texted and he says, for anyone who's ever wondered what true grit is, look no further than Terry Fox. His grit and tenacity knew no bounds. He was the true embodiment of what every Canadian should be. And yeah, I mean, he's he to me, he is in his own category. And I was talking about this last night. And as a sportscaster, people want me to to rank this and rank that on the greatest Canadian and the greatest athlete. And what he was doing was an athletic achievement. I mean, just running a marathon a day, even if you haven't had an amputation, is incredible. And what what he was doing and why he was doing it. So I. I can't look at it as just an athletic feat either. I mean, it probably is the greatest yeah. athletic achievement in Canadian history, but it's so much more than that. It is. Isn't it interesting with these, these deep layers of meaning on top of this outstanding athletic um, accomplishment? I mean, there, I was just reading today about a marathon runner who said about Terry, she said, nobody, nobody runs 300 kilometers a week. And just think of all the marathon runners we know. What do they do? One, two, three, five in a lifetime? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's and, amazing. And that was important to him. You know, he won the Lou, Lou Marsh Award. And um, he wanted that. I mean, he was very modest and didn't want much in life. But he did want to be recognized as an athlete. But, you know, but as I say, the depth and the complexity and the humanitarian aspect, the giving to others layered on top of that. Yeah, well said. Um, your book, uh, Terry Fox, uh, his story, uh, still uh, widely read and widely published and available. When, did, did, it, did it come out in 81 or when did it first come out? Yeah, it came out. Terry died in June I think June was it July, and it came out just shortly after that. Yeah, um, and that was you know, God. I mean, I just thought that's just yeah. He died on June twenty eighth, and um, the book came out just probably a couple of weeks later. But you know, he was so ill. We would talk on the phone, and he was so ill 
toward the end, you know, I, I asked him to take a look at it and what did he think? And, you know, he was just so far past caring about the words and, you know, it was, you know, his life was in the balance. You know, there are statues of Terry around the country, streets and, and schools and things like that named after him. It's funny, Leslie, and somebody just texted in about this as well. And I was talking to a couple other people earlier today and said, why do we not have Terry Fox on money? Like, is that the, <laughs> I don't know oh, if that's the well, ultimate way. Yeah, yeah. But there is a, a movement that he be considered, I think someone might have to correct me on this, uh, on the new, is it a $5 bill? His name has been put forward. Oh, good. Um, um, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't know where that stands. But wouldn't okay. that be great? Just, uh, I mean, he's on the loony though already. He was on a commemorative loony. Right. But, yes, but he's not on a permanent like. He's not on a bill. Not on a bill, right? Uh, yeah, Terry Fox's uh, story from February pushing to be him on the five dollar bill. Well, there should be some, yeah. something like that where everybody sees him on a daily basis. I think that would be appropriate. Well, you know, here it's uh, in Toronto at Pearson Airport. When you come when you come in, they have these big po- welcoming people from um, abroad. Um, there's a giant, giant picture of Terry, and I thought, what a terrific welcome. Um, to uh, visitors and newcomers to Canada. And what a statement that he is one of our great ones. Well said. Uh, Leslie, I, w- I wish we had a little more time. Uh, maybe we can talk again. But I, I, I just so appreciate uh, you coming on with your, your memories and, and talking about Terry Fox. Um, just a, a, an incredible Canadian. Words don't do him justice. Your book, Terry Fox, His Story. Thank you so much for checking in tonight. Such a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for calling. That is Leslie Scrivener with some memories of uh, Terry Fox, and she was right there on the scene during the during the Marathon of Hope. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Well, that was Leslie Scrivener with some memories of covering... Terry Fox's Marathon of Hope when she worked for the Toronto Star. She would publish uh, a book that you can still read, Terry Fox, his story. It came out in uh, in 1981. Uh, just such a, a great interview, and uh, obviously we will always remember and honour Terry Fox. And again, the virtual run this year, it's a virtual Terry Fox run, Sunday, September 20th, terryfox.org to get more information. Their slogan this year is One Day Your Way. We'll have to do a little bit more on that as we get closer to that uh, date, man. Really great to have Leslie on the show. You also heard from Kelly Rudy and Kevin Martin tonight. Thanks to everybody who uh, texted in as well. We really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the show. Final look at uh, at the scoreboard here. It is going to the third period between Colorado and Dallas and the Avalanche up 2-1, trying to force Game 7 in that series. Blue Jays win it 2-1 over the Marlins. The Heat beat the Box 116-114 to go up 2-0 in the series. Rockets lead the Thunder 36-35 halfway through the second quarter in Game 7. Shapovalov up two sets to one and up 4-1 in the fourth set against Quan, so he's looking good to advance to the third round of the U.S. Open. Big thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports, Kellen Kennedy, your studio producer. My name's Reed. Take care. 
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.